before we engage in what occurred in that upper room, let me take you behind the scenes into the systems of Hebrew law that will prepare our hearts, I believe, to appreciate the sacrifice of our Lord even deeper. Let me first take you to John's Gospel and chapter 18. John chapter 18 and verse 12, where we're told the Roman cohort and the commander, the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus. You remember that scene in the garden where the Lord allowed them to basically take him. And it tells us in verse 13 that they led him to Annas first, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. A high priest who had served would always be referred to as high priest as long as he lived, much like we do our presidents. We refer to them as Mr. President as long as they're still living, even though they don't occupy the office. That's what happens in these gospel accounts, and that's why you read of two men being referred to as high priest. Now, the text tells us here in verse 13 that they lead him first to the retired high priest on us, this aged man. He evidently wants to have first crack at this Galilean. It isn't really hard to understand why. Annas was the most powerful man in, in Jerusalem in, among the people of Israel. He had served 20 years earlier. He was still in control of virtually everything religious in Jerusalem. Annas controlled the, the temple system. He controlled the selling of sacrificial animals. He controlled the, the rates of exchange, which were exorbitant, basically nothing less than bribes and illegal fees for those who wanted to come and worship God. Annas had it all set up. And his, his family sort of created this, this religious mafia around the, the temple, and they, they owned and operated all of it and grew wealthy because of it. In fact, Jewish historians refer to uh, the temple as the Mall of Annas, the marketplace of Annas. He had become enormously wealthy off the people of Israel, and his corruption was well known. And, and Jesus pulled the mask off that. You remember? When he arrived in the city, he went directly to the temple, and he went inside, and he, and he turned over those tables basically making a statement that you will not bribe people. They've, they've come. This should be a house of, of prayer. And of course, he disrupts all of this as he exposes and condemns effectively the corruption of religion that had grown up in his nation. So it's, it's little wonder that Annas would want to meet this carpenter first and have his own word or two with him. And uh, in this chapter, verse 19 tells us a little later that the high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and about his, his teaching. He, he wants to have a conversation with this man that had caused him so much heartburn and high blood pressure. He wants to ask him about his teaching. And of course, the Lord really doesn't, doesn't cooperate all that well. Because verse 20 says, Jesus answers and says, look, I've spoken openly to the world. I've always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all the Jews uh, come together and I spoke nothing in secret. Now these are loaded words. Because what Annas is doing is effectively illegal. According to the Hebrew law and due process, as we'll see later, holding this midnight inquisition uh, was outside the bounds of Hebrew law. 
So Jesus is effectively saying, look, I have spoken openly. I, I, I've been in the synagogues. I have been speaking to you and with my disciples in the daylight. And so without having to say anything, he basically exposes the corruption of him being called there in the middle of the night. Everybody in this room now has given his full attention to this carpenter. Everybody's tuned in. Nobody stands up to Annas. These men in that room basically have been bought off anyway by him. They've all been pushed around and, and by this, this old embezzler. Um, he was, if you can imagine it, prime minister, pope, and president. All rolled up into one. He owned the nation. You, you do not cross on us and live to tell about it. Christ, without any word of his own self-defense, by the way, he'll give none of that. He simply takes the mask off the hypocrisy of this old man. In fact, it was clear what he had done because look at verse 22. After doing that, the bailiff, uh, one of the officers standing nearby, struck Jesus saying, is that the way you answer the high priest? In other words, don't tell us the truth. You just behave. You know, when I read this text and, and as I studied it, it occurred to me how how ugly it had turned so quickly because of the truth that Christ would represent. For years, a gentleman who came to church here sat as a judge in, in Raleigh downtown, and, and I called him up and I said, you know, here's what I'm studying. And, and the Lord responds to basically the Supreme Court justice. And after doing that, one of the soldiers comes over and hits him probably in the face. What would happen in your courtroom... If a prisoner, somebody who is there in, in, who would be perhaps indicted or, or the witnesses will testify to see if he's truly guilty, but suppose he responded to you sarcastically or, or maybe he said something to you you didn't like, or let's even go beyond the bounds of this analogy here. Suppose he stood in your courtroom and he cursed you and he said all kinds of things. And after doing that, what would happen if, if the bailiff walked over and slapped him in the face. What would you do? And he said, well, immediately that bailiff would be held in contempt. And then in the near future, there would be a trial in his honor. So can you imagine that's effectively happened here? This is all a sham as the Hebrew law will be set aside. And so Annas basically has enough of the Lord. He, he, he has seen enough and he's already now exposed. So he sends him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Go back to Matthew chapter 26 where he fills in some gaps for us. John didn't record. Matthew 26. And before we look further, you need to understand just a little bit about the Hebrew system of jurisprudence. As I researched it, it made me so much more appreciate our Lord for what he will do for us and what happened this night. The Jews prided themselves on their legal system. In fact, many of their laws have been incorporated into our own uh, jurisprudence. And uh, the, the Supreme Court in their day was called the Sanhedrin. Now the Sanhedrin was often referred to simply as the Senate, uh, a name we've adopted. It could also be called the Council of the Elders. 
It was composed of 71 men. It could be referred to simply as the 71. It was made up of the retired living high priest, uh, the current high priest, and then 23 elders, uh, 23 scribes, and 23 priests, 71 men in all. Now, throughout the course of what we'll see here, at least six principles of Hebrew law relating to due process will be set aside as, as they are intentionally broken by the Sanhedrin who is hell-bent in their desire to crucify this man. So as we work through just a few verses, let me give you these uh, by way of outline. Law number one, trials were not to be held secretly at night, but publicly during the day. Now you could say, well, the trip to Annas wasn't really a trial. It was certainly out of bounds, and it was indeed. But now you have uh, this, this legal proceeding. He's now in front of, of the 71. That is, well, 70. Annas is home nursing his bruised ego. Look at verse 57 of chapter 26. Those who'd seized Jesus led him away to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders were gathered together. Now, this is still in the middle of the night. Uh, These 70 have gathered. So you get the picture. Here you have the leading men of Israel. These are the, the godly ones. These are the ones to uphold the laws of the nation. They have already gathered, led there by torchlight. They know the, the officers and guards were, were, were to arrest Jesus in, in the Garden of Gethsemane. And assuming that that had been carried out, they were already gathered there, the 70, to indict this man. Under the cover of darkness, they will try a man who is innocent Why? Because of their single compelling desire to kill him. Law number two, the accused was never required to speak. Now the the Hebrews prided themselves in the defense and the rights of the accused, and it ought to be so, and we have a number of laws in our own books along these same lines. Now we know that this, this requirement has already, for the most part, been broken because honest demanded that Jesus explain his teachings. Yet whenever questioned as it related to providing any self-defense, the lamb will always remain silent. He will offer nothing of self-defense. Look at verse 62 where Matthew tells us that the high priest eventually stood up and said to him, do you make no answer? But Jesus kept silent. And what you need to understand is that this is the silence of integrity. This is the silence of a man who is forcing them to to uphold the law that they will break and he infuriates them this is also the silence of innocence isn't it this one who had never done anything wrong but who had already with unwavering trust accepted the cup conversing with his father saying if it be your will i'll drink it this cup which represents the wrath of god i wonder as i studied through this text What has been the greatest insult against you? What has been the highest violation of your personal rights? What has been that offense to you personally? Isn't there something that rises up within us all to defend ourselves, to speak our mind? Just give me a chance to give you the facts. Right? Look at the Savior. 
He was right, but he was being wronged. And he kept silent, even though these judges were desperate to end the trial before dawn would reveal their depravity. So they they have to drum up now some witnesses. And they go about that. In fact, that's the next law they violate. Two witnesses must come forward and agree exactly upon the the charges. They had to agree on every point. Now, under normal procedures, the witnesses would present their evidence and they would actually be questioned separately before presenting testimony before the 70. And and it would be important to do that because you question them separately and they can't help each other out on the answers, right? I mean, you've probably heard about those three teenagers, came to school late, went into the principal's office two hours late and said, well, we had a flat tire. The principal immediately separated them, gave them each a piece of paper and said, okay, write down on that piece of paper, which tire, right? That cuts right to the chase. The testimony has to agree privately. And you you need to understand that there were never any prosecutors in a Hebrew court. There were never any prosecutors that were trying to prosecute the accused against the Sanhedrin. The prosecutors were the witnesses. That's the way they, their system worked. The prosecutors were those who came with the evidence. And the Sanhedrin's role was to act as the defense. And so now with that understanding, can, can you imagine the horror of what we have revealed in verse 59? Now the chief priests and the whole council kept trying to obtain false testimony against Jesus in order that they might put him to death. They who were supposed to be the defense were trying to drum up witnesses and and they were frustrated because they they couldn't. The comical thing is how they can't find two people who can even lie consistently. Think about it, just where do you get reliable witnesses at 2 a.m.? So Mark's gospel records that Many were giving false testimony against him, Mark 14, 56, but their testimony was not consistent. In spite of this glaring fact, the Supreme Court is pressing forward to deliver the verdict they knew already in their hearts they wanted to deliver. Law number four. Not only did the Sanhedrin allow the condemned to remain silent, they never required the accused to incriminate himself. In any way. Never asked to testify. Against himself. We've adopted that same law. In our own systems. It's the fifth amendment. Part of it we we call it pleading the what? Pleading the fifth. We see our leaders doing that often. As they're called into court. And others. And it's in fact an excellent law. That allows the potentially innocent person. To not give evidence that would incriminate themselves. And so they must have the witnesses. The witnesses must step forward. But you don't ask the individual to incriminate himself. And it's at this moment then that Caiaphas violates this principle of Hebrew law. He stands up and he takes his position as if he is a prosecuting attorney. And this is so unusual, but he knows this is his last chance before dawn. Look at verse 63. And the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God that you tell us whether you are the Christ, the Son of God. What happens here is that Caiaphas places Jesus under an oath. He sets due process aside and effectively asks Jesus to incriminate himself. Jesus could have said nothing 
you got to come up with the witnesses. But it's at this moment, only at this moment, that Jesus speaks. Listen, before we look at it, he will help them do what he knows they will do. Do what he knows God has ordained they will do. Because he will bear our sin in his body on the tree and nobody is going to stop him. But you remember in the garden how he helped the soldiers? They arrived with their torches and their swords and, and this, this large group and they came into the garden and, and uh, he said, you know, whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus. And he said, I am. He said, ego a me. I am that Greek phrase is so powerful. It's the, it's the translation of the Hebrew text where Moses was told by God, look, you go back and you introduce me to the people as ego a me. You tell them I am that I am. So here Jesus says, whom do you seek? They said, Jesus. And he said, I am. And they all fell down. All the soldiers. Can you imagine that? These big burly guys, whew, like some breath from heaven, just bowl them over like pins. And he's just waiting. They get back up, grab their swords, look all frightening again. And he probably holds his hands out to be bound. He helped them. All he did was veil his power and his strength so that they could do their worst. And now here in this courtroom, he's going to help them again to indict him. Verse 64, Jesus said to him, you've said it yourself. Said what? Well, look back earlier again at verse 63. Tell us whether you are the Christ, the Son of God. That is, tell us if you are the Messiah. Tell us if you are the Anointed One. Tell us if you are indeed God, the Son. And Jesus said, yes, that's who I am. You said it. That's true. But then he adds, verse 64, Nevertheless, I tell you, hereafter you shall see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power, coming in the clouds of of glory. He says, not only am I the, the, the Son of God, the anointed Messiah, but now Jesus takes a phrase out of Daniel's prophecy that records how God will one day return in the clouds to rule the world. So he says, if you haven't gotten it yet, I happen to be God incarnate and I will one day with the right hand of divine authority rule the world. And he probably looked to make sure it connected and that they got it. You know what he's doing here? He is giving them all the information they wanted and they needed to condemn him for blasphemy, for claiming to be God. God the Son equal with God the Father. And of course they tore their clothes then. This mock, oh, we're so upset. He blasphemed God. We don't know what to do. But inside they were so delighted because he'd just given them what they wanted to have in the record of this court. And so, in fact, let me refer to the fifth law the Sanhedrin will now violate. And it's this. The death penalty was determined only after a day of fasting. Jewish records reveal to us that none of the 71 would be allowed to eat anything or drink anything. It was to symbolize that the Supreme Court would be in agony. They're adjudicating a a case of this nature 
they're going to render potentially a verdict that someone will die. And they are to represent the fact that they are in agony and will not for an entire 24-hour period eat or, or drink. But for this Sanhedrin, the verdict is actually what? It's immediate. The high priest immediately, in verse 66, calls for a vote, which effectively allows them all to say, he deserves to die. Let's take a vote. And they all voted. No period of delay. No agony. They want him dead. Law number six. A unanimous vote by the court immediately allowed the accused to go free. Now, a unanimous vote of a jury in our Western procedure is certainly different. But the Jewish custom was that a unanimous vote of the Sanhedrin implied a lack of critical thinking. Somebody missed something. The rabbis were teaching during the days of Christ that if the Sanhedrin voted unanimously in condemning someone to death, there was an obvious lack of mercy. There's a lack of mercy somewhere. So, so we're going we're gonna to have a hung jury, so to speak. We're going to start over. We've missed something. There's no critical thinking. We lack mercy. And so you go free. But look what happened. Verse 67, then they spat in his face and beat him with their fists. And others slapped him and said, prophesy to us, you Christ, who was the one who hit you. Mark adds, they blindfolded him and they beat him with their fists. Can you imagine, ladies and gentlemen, the Supreme Court of the United States of America condemning a prisoner to death? And then as soon as the verdict is read, get out of their seats, robes and all, and come down around to where the accused stands and begin to beat him in the face and spit on him and mock him. Can you imagine that kind of violation of every right we would hold there? But that's exactly what the 70 did. They render the verdict and they come around and they, the godly ones, the leaders, begin to beat him and spit on him and slap him. They blindfold him and they hit him and say, oh, tell us who it was. Do you see the lamb? Innocent and pure. He is being tried by Israel's highest court so that you and I will never have to be tried by heaven's high court. He's condemned to die by man's horrific injustice so that we will, we will never have to experience eternal death in the lake of fire by the verdict of heaven's justice. He will face the anger and wrath of mankind so that all who believe in him will never face the anger and wrath of God. Amen? This is our lamb. This is our sinless, pure, righteous, innocent, merciful, suffering, dying, rising, ascending, coming 
in the clouds of heaven, Lamb. Thank you, Father, for this text and for the volume of truth behind it that we have just skated through. But we have seen enough to be reminded all over again of you, our great Lamb, gracious, determined, intentional, who will die for us. Friends, if you don't know Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you can decide right where you sit that you will come to him. And those who come to him, he will in no wise cast out. If the Spirit of God is moving in your heart and you're being called to him, we welcome you. For all that the Father has given to this one, the Son will come to him. Maybe this is the moment when you will. For those of you who know Christ, would you just take a moment and thank the Lamb of God for enduring the injustices of this world and the injustices of our own acts and our own attitudes and the offenses that we heap upon him? Having died for it, paying the penalty for it, he has allowed us to go free. He did not go free. But we can and have by his grace.